0: Episode 176 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Pilot the Pilot is brought to you by the Finder Points. You can get a free 3-day trial of the Ground School app by visiting learnthefinderpoints.com.
1: I'm Jason Miller from The Finer Points. We're online at learnthefinerpoints.com. I'm a career CFI. I've been teaching flying for over 20 years um, and have been working over the last 10 years to sort of put that information into our ground school app so that everybody in the world has access to high quality flight training.
0: AV Nation, what is going on and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. Today's episode is with Jason Miller. Jason Miller is the creator of Learn the Final Points and the Ground School app and we have an Ask a CFI. And if you've ever wanted to ask a CFI question, Jason Miller is the CFI to ask. I have watched his videos when I was doing training so I could figure out stuff even though he was all the way out on the West Coast. (laughs) So it's really kind of cool to to see where this has become and have the opportunity to ask him questions on a monthly basis. If you'd like to Ask a question. Make sure you follow me, Pilot the Pilot, on Instagram. I'll do a story probably about every single month. I'll do one where I put up a question box where you can ask Jason a question and ask him any question. Everything is on limits. I'm sure he'll regret me saying that, but sorry, Jason, I just did it. <laughs> Ava I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. Check out Pilot's Coffee for some of the best coffee in the world, and I'm not even joking—the world. It's pretty amazing. But Pilotscoffee.com is where you can get that. We also should have some cool announcements here coming in the next couple of weeks with that. So stay tuned. Aviation, if you're going to be at Oshkosh, let me know. I should be there July 28th through the 31st, I believe. I think it's maybe that Thursday through the Saturday. So if you're there, I'm trying to finalize some plans. If you like to meet up, look out for some meetups and we will meet up for sure. But Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Jason Miller from Learn the Final Points and the Ground School App. Jason, what's going on, man? Welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast.
1: Thanks, Justin. It's always good to be
0: here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, you are probably the most recurring guest on the podcast, so congratulations, maybe, or my condolences. I don't <laughs> Do know. I you gotta listen to that? me more than anyone. <laughs> I want
1: some free coffee. <laughs> yeah. I only come here for the coffee. <laughs> that's fine. <funny.
0: laughs> I have to send you some. I keep forgetting, so uh, that's a good point. I'm actually sending some out today, so I'll make sure to. I'll text me your address when we're done, and I'll get you some.
1: Oh, man, that'd
0: be awesome. Yeah, I'd love to try it. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, so we are going to do another kind of Ask a CFI segment. We have a bunch of questions from Instagram. Uh, we'll pick kind of a handful of them. I'll kind of just pick them on the go. But before we get started with that, well, kind of what's an update in your life? What's going on with you? You know, 2020 up until now has been crazy. It's been hectic. Uh, you did launch Ground School. Uh, it's kind of taken off and it's doing well. What, what, what's going on with you and uh, where are you standing right now?
1: Wow, man. <laughs> well, it's it's just so cool to see the world like opening up again and see people get hired by the airlines. So, you know, flying is just, it's just done really well through this whole COVID thing. There's tons and tons of students asking to fly. So, you know, my life is a balance of working with, with students, of course, in the real world, private owners, um, all sorts of students, you know, running these airplane camp trips we do every summer, which we're back into, and um, probably more than anything else, working on ground school, which is kind of funny because it's all about flying, but it's just got me, like, you know, it's, it's building tech, essentially, right? Like, we're putting everything that I I know we're trying to put into the app. So it's it's just constant little updates, little tweaks, adding content, adding functionality. Um, but it's really cool. We have a huge community of people that are using it and providing feedback. We're getting amazing reviews in the app store and uh, we're super, super proud of, of what we're building. So
0: that's mostly what I'm working on. Yeah, it's really cool. It's uh, it, It's pretty cool. The app is awesome. I mean, I am removed from my training, but, Going through the app, and I say this all the time I want to get into general aviation. I mean, I, I keep making excuses for not doing it. I sound like someone that is getting ready that wants to be a pilot. It's just like, oh, it's just too expensive. You know, it's like, well, here I am, a professional pilot, and I'm still looking at general av- aviation. It's like, oh, it's too expensive to get into. But I, I right. do look at the app, and it, it just it is great information, and it's done so well, and it's very professional looking, and it's uh. Yeah, I think it's a very valuable tool for someone in their training, beginning their training, or even someone that just wants a little refresher that wants to uh, remember what it's like to fly GA and kind of get back up to speed with all that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's good to hear that. Or you know, that's part of what like I'm trying to figure out with the app. I mean, it's definitely good. You know, we know that it's good for like your written test. We know that it's good if you're a private pilot um, that is going through any kind of training or headed toward a checkride. And really, what we're trying to get feedback on and add functionality for is making it really accessible, easy to use for somebody that's like looking for a flight review. Um, you know, somebody like, like Juan Brown on YouTube has been using it a lot and he's in a similar spot where he's like an airline pilot and doesn't, you know, just doesn't n- remember all the little rules about GA or little airspace rules or, or whatever. And so, uh, it's really cool to get feedback and, and like work with people on trying to continue to build a product that works in the way you need it to work, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm guessing it's, you had this like grand idea of what the app was going to look like before you made it, but. Now it is where it is. Has it been kind of a straight point A to point B, uh, for or A to Z essentially, or has it been a constant kind of evolution and it's been changing in ways you never thought it would become or or start to to look like?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely that second thing, and that part is really interesting because I, Like, it's I actually have to sometimes sit down and just kind of close my eyes and meditate back to like what the original intention is or was. Um, it's really easy and I can see how this happens to so many companies. Like it's really easy to sort of lose the forest for the trees and just start taking the path of least resistance. Um, and you know, like I think of, it's funny, like there's this old story about Steve jobs where he was making his team do rounded corners on squares. Have you ever heard that story? No, I haven't. Like, If you ever look at an apple, you'll notice that all the the boxes have rounded corners, and it was really really hard to do at the time. And and Microsoft just went with you know right angles on their on their boxes, and Steve Jobs was like like super. He said it's super important that we have rounded corners, and everyone was like, "Why are we working our butts off to get rounded corners?" And he's like, "Come with me," and he takes him on a walk in the streets, and he's like, "Look at every street sign you see; they all have rounded corners, right?" And he like planted a flag in the ground to make sure that his guys were going to work like double time just to make sure that they had rounded corners. Cause that was like his vision. And it's like those little battles, like when we're building ground school, it's like, sometimes I really have to think deep and say, no, this is like, this is really important to the original vision. You know, it's, for us, it's not rounded corners. It's like whatever it is, but it's really easy to say. Well, it's just easier to go this way. It's going to save us like a hundred hours of work. So let's just go this way, you know. And so, staying true to the original vision is actually harder than I thought. Um, but the other side of that is like you have to listen to people. So like we're getting feedback from people saying, "Hey, you guys should do this, or you guys should do that." And that stuff is actually taking the app in a direction that I never could even see. So I think like the balance between those two things is is one of the things that's challenging about what we're doing. But it's also super cool to watch how all that like plays out.
0: Definitely. And for someone listening right now, where can they go get the app, or what's the best way to get more information on it?
1: Uh, just learnthe We pretty much have the homepage like teamed up to just tell you about what we're doing. So if you can make it to learn the finer you can find out about the app.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, let's get into ask a CFI. So we've done two, two of these I think right this would be the third one if I'm not wrong or if I'm mistaken so we have some questions from you on Instagram if you would like to ask questions you need to follow us both separately learn the final points and pilot the pilot we do this try to do this monthly I feel like I I would like to do and I'm sure you wouldn't mind doing that either but get these out and ask these questions so if you want your question answered just follow us and look out for uh, a question box on one of our stories and you have the ability to ask Jason a question because I'm not a CFI and don't listen to anything I say in this episode only listen to what Jason (laughs) you provide a valuable perspective yeah uh, sure whatever you say (laughs) Well, i have not really looked these over too much so i'll be reading these off and we'll kind of just go from there you ready to start i am ready all right this one kind of i have some people that i've been following on instagram they are it's not a question for them per se but it's something they're dealing with right now it's the foi what's a good way to study for the FOI and not just memorize it, but also to utilize the information?
1: Wow. That one is really, uh, that's a really interesting question because the FOI for anybody that doesn't know, that's the fundamentals of instruction and that covers concepts like, you know, the the learning process, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like laws of learning. Um, And some of it is kind of, I don't know what the right word is. I was going to say fluff, but like some of it is like not, that important right like for example maslow's hierarchy of needs which basically says like if someone isn't in in a place in their life where they're ready to fly then they're not going to learn i mean that's a singular concept it's like and it sort of self-corrects like by the time somebody shows up at the airport with money in their pocket and they say i want to fly they're already in the right place in that hierarchy you know what I mean? There's not too many unemployed people showing up at the airport saying, How do I get started in this? <laughs> and so right. they, they know how to get dressed in the morning. They know how to feed themselves. They've obviously got a little money. Like, so that's just like a hmm, cool note. But there's other parts of the FOI that I, are really, the more I teach, the more I realize how deep they are. And like <clears throat> if you look at the laws of learning, for example, uh, law of primacy, law of recency, law of exercise. Those are things that flight instructors are going to encounter all the time. And actually, as you get better and better and better at teaching, you will actually learn to leverage like you will see opportunities like to leverage the law of intensity or, um, you know. So one thing that a new instructor might do is look over their lesson plans as you make them and just sort of ask yourself, are there any Like, you know, considering the laws of learning, like uh, for stall spins is a good example. Is there a way for me to leverage the law of intensity here? Or when should I? The law of intensity says that, you know, intense experiences are are remembered more profoundly. So uh, using the example of stall spin, you wouldn't want to take somebody out and say, look at this and like, you know, spin them without telling them on the first day, because that would be too intense. (laughs) But you might say to your, you know, you might say to yourself, "I'm going to build somebody into this. I'm going to start with slow flight, and I'm going to do controlled stalls, and I'm going to make sure they're fully comfortable. Then we're going to do some spins and fully recovered spins. And by the time we're done, then yes, I'm going to show them sort of accidentally the beginning of a spin, right? So when I feel that they are ready for it, you know, then I will introduce this intense lesson so to make sure they remember it, like that kind of thing. You can sort of apply those laws of learning to. Lessons that you're planning.
0: That makes sense. Good answer. I have no other input on that because I never took the FOI. I really studied for it, so (laughs) that works.
1: It's a pretty easy test. Most CFI's sort of just sleep through it, and and myself included. And then I think it was ten years into my my teaching where I was like, "Wow, where's that book again?" Because like (laughs) I keep hitting these things, you know, like this is real.
0: Uh, You kind of brought up a a few points that leads to the next question I was going to ask. And you're talking about lesson plans. This is a question that says, how do you even start making lesson plans? Like, what would you recommend for a new CFI or someone going into the CFI check ride that wants to bring their own lesson plans? How do you even start that process? I know when I initially started my CFI, and like I said, I never finished it, but it was more of me adapting what my instructor did and kind of using his lesson plans and making them my own. What would you recommend for someone in that situation?
1: Well, it's like, to some extent, it's that like, if anybody just Googles CFI lesson plans, you're going to see a bunch of examples and there's a form to it. It's like a template, right? Like you've got the lesson objective and then by the end you've got the common errors and you know, there's like a form to it. Um, so I would write that form just blank, right? I would actually create the lessons. I would think of writing lesson plans a little bit like creating a business plan, a battle plan, a cross country flight plan, right? It's the value is not that you're going to execute it perfectly. The value is that you think through all of the potentials of what might happen ahead of time. Like what's the, there's another joke. I'm not a military guy, but there's a joke about battle plans, right? Like they don't survive the battle. <laughs> and like the minute you get out there, everything you planned is just gone. But if you didn't do the planning, you wouldn't have the resources in your mind available to like, deal with what's really happening. Um, And that's how I think of flight planning too, which is one of the things in today's world that's challenging. I don't, I won't digress into flight plans, but the more flight planning tools like ForeFlight become powerful, really powerful, extraordinarily powerful we're in danger of losing this process of sort of flying the flight in your mind, which is really what should be happening or what in, what you're forced to do. If you're planning it with like a protractor and paper and a plotter, like you have to fly it in your mind. And it's that part of it. In fact, that is actually valuable. So the same is true for lesson plans. Just write the form, you know, on a blank piece of paper, you know, or, or word processor or whatever. And then, start filling it in and if you need like resources you know use the FAA books like the airplane flying handbook has the objective for the lessons has the common errors um, but you can use other resources too I mean this is why I mean I don't want to just keep beating grand, beating you know everyone over the head with ground school but it's why when we made the app each one of the flying lessons starts with a briefing then goes into the actual airplane lesson and then ends with a debriefing it, it emulates real life. Um, The same because they're like living lesson plans. So if if you're a CFI or CFI candidate, you should definitely check out the free trial of the app at least and see how that flight section is laid out.
0: How have your lesson plans changed throughout your career as a flight instructor? Have they stayed pretty constant or are they constantly changing?
1: Um, I think the common errors part of it has changed quite a bit because like, you know, you'll go into the airplane flying handbook and they'll have like a long list of common errors and maybe like 60% of it is real. And there's definitely stuff that they're missing. You know, the FAA guys and girls are like, they're in an office somewhere and they have experience, like they've done it, but it's, I think, you know, in practice, um, you're going to find the common errors aren't exact. And I think also like, completion standards is something that is like become more valuable to me over the years where it's like very important to me these days that we have a very explicit completion standard that we both agree on before we go out. So like, you know, lesson plans can be pretty high altitude. Like the objective of the slow flight is to learn how to do slow flight. It's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) You know, that's, that's pretty high altitude. You can bring the camera way down and say, You know, today we're going out to work on, you know, how pitch and power change to, you know, to achieve different airspeeds. And the completion standard is when you can do that and hold sufficient right rudder that you're looking in the right spot, like so that you can come back from the lesson or the sub lesson, even, you know, for for a skill like slow flight and say to the student, did we you know, did you, were you able to do this and were you able to do this and were you able to do this? Did we achieve those completion standards? Do you feel comfortable with that now? Do you feel like you can go out next time and repeat those things? And once the CFI and the student both agree on those things, then you can check that box.
0: Yeah. Uh, here's another one. It is how to teach students good judgment. And I guess it's, can you teach judgment or is that a learned skill that they develop on their own through their own experiences?
1: It's it's a tough one, um, but we were. It's really tough, and like it's you know we should really go into a long conversation on it. But like one law of learning, we were just talking about the law of intensity can sometimes teach judgment. Like um, an example, like so. I mean, nothing can really teach judgment, but that can like be like a, a cattle prod in the direction of hey, you need to move closer to better judgment. Like like for example, in the Bay Area, we get that advection fog. You know the classic. Carl the fog which comes in every summer and it's just every everything's overcast um san carlos is an anomaly it tends to stay clear longer and get clear sooner so um i had a great student one time <clears throat> tom he was a brilliant kid um i think he's working for spacex he's like an engineer he's motivated he was showing up prepared like nothing wrong with him as a student at all and i remember driving down from san francisco and i'm in like driving through 400 foot overcast and I call him and I was like, Hey, did you get the weather today? And he's like, "Yep, yeah, I'm at the plane. Everything looks good. And I knew he was just looking at the METAR at San Carlos and looking straight up because every other airport in the Bay Area was fogged in. <laughs> and I get to the airplane and I push him a little more. I'm like, hey, are you, you got it? You're sure that today's like feeling like a good day to go out and, and fly? He's like, yeah. He's like, weather's good. Winds are this. Our visibility's 10. Like, OK, let's go. So I knew right there that I was going to leverage a law of intensity. I knew that he wasn't going to get much further than the crosswind turn before he saw what was really going on out there. And that's exactly what happened. And He took off he turned the airplane and he could immediately see that he was in a giant hole basically. And that everything, everything else was fogged in. And he kind of turned white and I was like, you still think it's a good day to go flying? He's like, well, no, maybe not. Maybe we should stay here in the pattern, you know? So, Uh-oh. so you can like, yeah. Right. Like that's, that's an intense experience for him that I'm sure he didn't forget. And, um, you know, but like I said, we could talk about this for a long time. That's just like a cattle prod. I think in general you want uh, to start teaching judgment by telling people your own failures, like as a CFI, I've you know, I mean I've been doing this for a long time and I've made some stupid decisions along the way. and I think being honest about those is important um, and what I learned from them and getting uh, so that people don't think you're just being macho and or you, you would never make those mistakes. I think also looking at real world accidents that are happening on a regular basis to try to Understand the mistakes that people are making. Um, you know, like we had a kid, like another really bright kid. This was really sad. I mean, he was a young guy in his early 20s and he was doing really well in business. And he bought a Mooney and he was going to commute to the foothills and back and took off out of, I think it was Hayward one night and flew right into Mount Diablo. Ooh, you know, man. yeah, and he just didn't see the mountain. And it was like, you know, just a he was in an airplane that was over his head. He was kind of pushing the limits a little too far. Um, he wasn't leveraging all the technology he had available and it cost of his life. So I think just knowing that there are really smart people out there that they're making mistakes can help sort of, you know, control your desire to do anything stupid. And then, yeah just it's a tough thing to teach it really is
0: it is and it's one of those things that you really only learn from your own mistakes and you learn from hearing of other people's mistakes you know it's like you as your instructor it's very important for you to tell everyone because they kind of think you're like the god of aviation at that point you know everything and you're teaching them everything you know it's important to tell them like hey I mess up still too. This is how I messed up. And if you see this, don't do this or learn from me. And then as they continue to go, it's like um, the one you were talking about with the weather and the fogged in, it's like you were there to guide him, to show him that he was making a bad mistake, but you let him learn on his own. If you just told him that, then he might've not fully grasped it because you really only truly learn when you put yourself in a situation where you're like, oh crap, <laughs> and I'm never going to, like you literally say the words, I'm never doing that again. And then it's your duty to go tell other people to stay away from that and be like, hey, really just look at the TAF some too, or kind of get the big picture. Don't just look at this one airport, look at every airport and really get a good idea of what's going on.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. And you actually reminded me, <laughs> like in your world, in the professional world, I think that we've learned that You know, there are certain external pressures once, you know, once you're out there that are just too strong to deny. And so having like formal constraints, right? Like you guys fly with an operations manual, which allows you to do certain things and doesn't allow you to do other things. Um, isn't that that's kind of how it works in in your world
0: yeah we have aom fom sops like there's a lot of kind of controlling documents and try to keep everything very standardized and um, make sure no one goes cowboy (laughs) out there like a lot of pilots trying to do but yeah it's uh, very standardized and there's multiple fallbacks for like what is right and what is wrong and it's very plainly written
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's fair for GA to sort of borrow that stuff. So like if, you know, people should start writing down their own, I mean, we have this vague concept of personal minimums, right? But it's Mm -hmm. so like, sometimes when I lecture, I'm like, does anyone have personal minimums? And like, everybody raises their hand. And I'm like, all right, how many people have ever written those down? And it's like, 5% of the people keep their hands up. You know what I mean? Like, it's like this vague idea. Oh, it's sort of like 15 knots about, you know, but I think people should get really specific with not just the personal minimums, but all of those standard procedures. Um, that's been a huge thing that's evolved for me over the last 20 years. And I think we can just steal them from pros. You know, like, like see if you can find professional pilots to talk about their SOPs. What are they allowed to do? What are they not allowed to do? And just start to write your own, I think. And the hard part, the really hard part in GA is adhering to them because yes. there's nobody looking over your shoulder. Exactly.
0: You don't have the the plane telling on you when you do something wrong with foqua like most of the jets do. Uh, you don't have a CFI with you all the time to really stay on you. There's really no accountability accountability. You're the only accountability that you have when you're in the airplane. And you it's very important to stay accountable. And there's a lot of times get there-itis or your macho attitude. You can be like, ah, i I know my limit's fifteen knots or twenty knots, but it's only twenty three, you know, I'll be fine. And it's just important to remember yeah. that no situation is the same just because you did it one time doesn't mean you can do it again you know it's like if you have these limits stick to them because they will help save your life and keep you safe and other people safe
1: yeah yeah that's so true um what was the thing you just mentioned you said FOQA or something like that
0: Yeah, foqua i don't know the actual kind of what it means the acronym itself but foqua is um with jets with airlines with the plane i fly the plane reports back to it collects all the data and all the data is complied and then reviewed and if something the airline set limits of what is either uh, okay based on SOPs or based on standardized approaches or whatever stabilized approaches whatever it may be and then if there's any erroneous data or if there's any kind of data out of the limits it gets flagged to the focal gatekeepers and the readers and then they will then call the pilots and they will talk to them about it they'll be like hey we noticed here that you were out of limits Uh, why what happened kind of get a better idea and then they come up with all this data and they get reports every single month and they kind of show what the what the crews are doing what's going on with airplanes and how we can do better and be safer not necessarily safer but how we can make sure we we avoid certain situations or how we can make sure uh, we're always stabilized and we're always going around when we need to go around wow that's that's just incredible yeah because the plane um, tells- i'm
1: just curious and I'm- what you say? Yeah, and like I'm, we don't have to digress too far into this, but I'm just curious like if they come to you 2 months later and they're like, "Hey, you know, back on that approach into Pittsburgh, we noticed that you had an unstabilized descent rate or whatever, like are are pilots actually able to remember what happened? Like, oh, there was a flock of geese and I had the... I mean, like how do you how do you remember to even have those conversations?
0: Yeah, so luckily in my three and a half years of being in my company, I haven't been called yet, and that's not to say that I'm like a perfect pilot, but I just have <laughs> I haven't had the call yet, right. and I would assume yes and no usually most of the time you will know. Usually, you know, like certain things stick out in your mind and you kind of understand when FOCO might call. You're like, I I was out of limits. I know they're going to call me. And you kind of make a mental note. But as time does go on, you do forget. And I mean, it's perfectly acceptable for you to be like, I really don't remember, like there's no, you don't get in trouble for this. It's completely anonymous and there's really no, it's just a kind of get a better understanding of what's actually going on in the road. Uh, But for certain situations, I'm guessing you already have kind of your defense (laughs) lined up and ready to defend yourself and why you did it. And then you just tell them your side of the story and they're like, oh, okay, you kind of had to do that. That's okay. Or they'll be like, hey, maybe next time go around and try again. Like nothing hurts. Always go around if you need to.
1: Yeah, it's so cool to hear that. I think this is why in GA people really need to, to understand how important this process is. Is because you know when it comes to standardization and all the rules that you have to fly by, they are as powerful as they are because the company is watching and the company survives the accidents, right? Like if you've got a couple pilots out on a flight working for your company and and they crash and they die, the company learns and adapts, learns evolves, and then puts new procedures out there that prevents that stuff from happening. Like in GA there's people going down all the time and we just have no idea. Like, you know, people go down near me and I don't even know what happened. Right. So um, it's super important that people are watching what's going on out there. And I think for accountability, one small thing, and this is small, but one thing people can do is when you do write down your own, let's call it your own operations manual instead of personal minimums, but you, you make like a written record of your personal minimums or rest requirements or whatever you've decided for yourself, give that to another pilot that you respect and just say, these are my minimums or this is my operations manual. I know it's small, but like if you're out there in North Dakota with your family and the winds are crazy strong and it's way outside your minimums, you just might be thinking in the back of your mind, if I try to take off and I go off the runway here, there's going to be like, you know, Bill's going to know that I was outside my limits. It's like, at least it's something, right? Like there's one other person in the world who knows what you're supposed to adhere to.
0: Yeah, that's not a bad idea. It still comes down to you to, to making that decision though, which is really difficult. And like we are kind of going off on a tangent, but I think it's important because this gets in, this is a cause of a lot of accidents. It's just you think that you can do it and you kind of don't adhere to the own rules that you have put in your mind and put down in place. So I think it's important to write them down. It's important to have like an accountability buddy. And I don't know what that looks like for you or how you make that happen. But uh, have someone check in on you, call someone be like, hey, I don't really feel comfortable with this flight. And then if you find yourself making that call, that's usually, or yeah, if you have those doubts, it's usually a good idea uh, to not make that flight. You know, if you ever find yourself doubting yeah. uh, the, the airplane, the situation, the conditions, like it was very hot in uh, Aspen the other day and the density altitude was very, very high. And it's like, make sure you check that it's not a good idea for a single engine to be taken off high in the mountains which i'm sure you guys will go over in your camp that you have in trucky in a couple of days it's like it's a yeah, very yeah. very important to have these in place and to make sure you never cross them because it's you it might look like it's easy right now but when you're facing this position a lot of times you don't know that you're making a bad decision until it's too late
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so hard in an unregulated environment. It really
0: is. And then you have all the Instagram people judging you for the decision you made because you can't defend yourself.
1: No, not that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. I got another question for you. Um, (laughs) Let's see here. This one is going to be, oh, here's a good one. What do you dislike most about being a CFI? One thing you can choose and be like, dang, I really don't like this. If you have one.
1: Gosh, that's a, um, well, one thing I was just, I mean, that's a tough question because I really do love teaching, but I'll just start to tell you the first thoughts that come to my mind. I mean, one is the amount of flying that you really have to do to, to make it like your real job. You know, like I've often said to my wife, if I could do one lesson a day, I would be a much better instructor. And I think that, um, you know, I don't, I'm fortunate. I'm very, very fortunate and, and feel like blessed today to not, have to do this many flights but you know early in my career three four flights a day five six days a week was not uncommon and on the third and the fourth flight you're just not as good as you were on the first or second flight and um i wish i didn't have to fly that much to make ends meet because i would be a better instructor i mean that's one thing um the other thing maybe is Well, it popped into my head, so I'll say it, but it's, I joke on Instagram that I fly in my fishbowl, right? Like I, I don't like the, the people change a lot. And I think being an instructor is really a a people game. Like if you don't like people, you're not going to like teaching because it's all about people and I, and I really love people and, and everybody's different. So that part's constantly changing, but the flying itself, the scenery outside doesn't change very much. That's why I joke and call it my fishbowl because I'm Mm -hmm. sort of stuck in this one little area. so that I'd be, you know, sometimes I, I'm envious of like the flying job you have, for example, where you're like all over the country or, you know, somebody like Michael Manero is all over the world, you know, like i like, like oh, years the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's sixteen now. I think yeah, he's getting geez. older. <laughs> he's flying the triple seven, that kid. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so but yeah, so it's like, you know. The fun thing about flying is life's too short to do it all like it really is, you know. So there's no I think one of the things pilots have to get used to is the idea that you're always going to be longing to fly a different airplane. You're always going to be longing to fly a different type of mission. Always. Um, and it's an ex- yeah, always. Right. It's an exercise in being content with where you where you are just being airborne at all.
0: And what's funny about that is when you are in your training or you are a CFI, you're longing for faster, for bigger, for better, for more technology. And then when you find yourself flying that, you're looking back in your GA days. Now, it's not true for everyone, but for a majority of pilots I fly with, they're like, man, it'd be fun to fly a Cub. It'd be fun even the fun of it to go up on <laughs> a 172. That's why it's very important to understand and realize to just enjoy the moment. If you want to be a professional pilot, that's going to come, but you never know when you're just going to be able to go rent a 172 an arrow or go fly around for fun or go get that hundred dollar hamburger. Because once you get to that stage of professional pilot, you know, those opportunities don't come up as much and you don't make a priority to make that happen.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, I, I can only take your word for that, but I hear it a lot, um, you know, and and some people are really lucky to be able to like. I know you're interested in getting back into GA, and I think you're going to own an airplane someday, right? Like, so there's definitely yeah. those pro pilots, you know. And I'm always envious of those guys, like, you know, you, your day job is flying. Uh, like Justin, he comes up and teaches on our mountain trips, right? Like, his day job is flying for Jet suite X, and he also has a 120 that he flies around on his days off. So it's kind of best of both worlds.
0: He's a Justin living my dream. <laughs> Yeah, he's living all of our dreams. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, maybe not the Jets Redux. Yeah. No offense, but uh, <laughs> everything else.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. well, he's I like number eleven. Was... I think he's like nearly top seniority
0: oh so that's good. that's good but yeah that was a complete joke so yeah. it to twist my words i was trying to be funny but yeah it's uh it's funny well, when we talked on the phone the other day and you're saying i noticed how your requirements of airplanes or your want of an airplane has changed drastically in the last couple of years because how expensive airplanes are and it's like started with a really cool 206 and now it's like down to like a 120 140 160 or 180 uh, 170 <laughs> or even a straight tail 182 from like the 50s Like right now i'll take anything like come on <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, ForeFlight has been so amazing that way, too, because, you know, every, it doesn't really matter what's on the panel for VFR flying, because everybody has access to these powerful tools for navigation and weather and stuff yeah, like that.
0: Absolutely. Um, but, and you know, it's, in, same it's with Garmin.
1: wild.
0: <laughs> Garmin's amazing. Yeah, Garmin too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm,
1: I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> any, any of the, the, yeah. the big ones, right? Yeah. Sorry. But, um, you know, I was, I always have one of my browser tabs is always executive controller, you know, and I'm just looking like, I don't know. I mean, airplanes are expensive, but it's not like a lot of people think, I mean, you can find airplanes for seventy, eighty thousand $80,000, which is a lot of money. I know, but like, you know, you can finance that and get into a payment for $500 a month right. and, and you could be owning an airplane. Right. So,
0: yeah you definitely can it's not the only problem is that payment's like what like 35 years or like 40 years so if you like fully own that airplane for that long the interest you're paying on that's probably pretty incredible but you know just don't look at it (laughs) don't look at it that way i would say best
1: not to think about that it's it's all about the memories it's the lifestyle yeah it's a lifestyle it's the
0: memories it's uh (laughs) the romance of flying it's not about the money (laughs) That's funny. Um, Here we go. (laughs) One question again, it was, what's the most common failure you've seen on a commercial check ride? Like of all the instruction you have doing, has there kind of been one gotcha? Has there, whenever someone has failed a check ride, uh, whether it's, I guess just in general, no, let's do commercial. What's like something that's been common or usually shows up?
1: Um, that's a good question on the commercial. I find that there's a lot of confusion around the steep spiral. Um, and I think it's not just confusion for applicants. It's confusion on the part of examiners. Um, in fact, there was one, one of my students became an instructor and uh, called me and said that one of his students failed a steep spiral for not having like a steep enough bank but it's a really, the the, name, the maneuver is just named wrong. There's no bank angle requirement whatsoever in that maneuver. And I ran and checked the airplane flying handbook. And I mean, it's essentially a descending turnaround of points. So there can't be bank angle requirements because your bank angle is going to change depending on how strong the winds are. If it's a you know really light wind, you'll have a shallow bank. And anyway, this examiner appeared to not understand that and failed the guy for, for tolerances that weren't in the ACS weren't in the airplane flying handbook. Um, and I, I keep hearing about that. Um, also I think the lazy eight is another one that examiners seem to have strong opinions on one way or another. Um, I was really proud to be able to make the lazy eight video on YouTube, which I get a lot of feedback on where people are like, thank you for that. Cause it finally makes sense because it, it's really a beautiful, elegant maneuver. And I just find that, again, it's one that a lot of applicants don't understand, but also a lot of examiners don't understand. Although I think if you fly it the way I lay it out in YouTube, I have yet to hear an examiner have any sort of issue with that. I think it's, it's just one where the truth is not widely available, yeah. or it wasn't widely available.
0: So lazy eights were my favorite maneuver in commercial training. My instructor was like very old school. And when we practiced it, we would practice, he would call them crazy eights. And we would have a lot of fun with it. And (laughs) once I understood the subject, but he's like, you can have a lot of fun with this. You can make this like a fun maneuver. And we made it fun. And I actually really enjoyed it. And I had to be very careful to not do the crazy eights on my check ride and make them just lazy eights.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, really, because it's it's essentially a wing over. I mean, you're crazy. It's we're probably just wing over. Yeah, I mean, it's it was. The
0: same yeah, mover, it was pretty yeah. fun. And, and you're talking about the steep spiral uh, or spiraling descent, whatever you want to to call it. When we were doing that on my oh, multi- let's call
1: it that, <laughs>
0: <laughs> when we were doing it on my multi-engine check ride, we we're doing it a Seneca, and the door popped open. <laughs> On the oh, Seneca. Wow. Well, it didn't pop all the way open, but it wasn't fully locked anymore. It just cracked. So it, it made this immediate, really strong buffeting feeling in the airplane. Just like, I mean, I look like an idiot right now I'm moving my hands up and down, and you can't see it, but it was very loud and it was buffeting like <laughs> crazy. And I immediately stopped the the maneuver and we leveled out, and he was able to kind of. I mean, I don't know if he, I can't remember if he was able to pull it shut or not, but he's like, all right, that's fine. You did good. Like you understand like something weird is happening and you recovered and everything is good. Your PSE, checked that off and it's all check. But yeah, I hated eights on pylons. Eights on pylons were my least favorite maneuver. And I thought they were the dumbest thing in the world. And it was just based on your judgment, which I guess is like judging the winds and judging everything. But I hated eights on pylons because if you just picked the wrong two points, you were screwed.
1: That was it. The whole maneuver is picking the right yeah. points. And it's not easy because they have to be the right distance apart. And yeah. they also have to be perpendicular to the wind or the line between them has to be perpendicular to the wind. And or it doesn't have to be. But that's like if you were able to find that, if you're able to find two points that are the right distance apart and the line between them is perpendicular to the wind all of a sudden the maneuver makes sense. Yeah. It's like, if you can find the, the right conditions and the right minute and, and the right distance between your points, you go out there and you're like, Oh, I get it. I see what they're saying in the book. This all makes sense. If the wind isn't perpendicular, then the book is sort of wrong. <laughs> and if they're too far apart, you're totally hosed. I mean, yeah, that yeah, maneuver man. is really, like you said, it's all about picking the right point.
0: Yeah, and that's the only really re- maneuver that gave me any kind of like stress for that exam. I was flying an arrow, and I could fly the crap out of the aero at that time. I was so happy to fly an arrow. I thought I was like the coolest pilot in the world flying uh, an advanced airplane <laughs> and I just was so comfortable flying. it. But the only one I didn't feel comfortable with was the um, eights on pylons and it's just truly because it's just a judgment it's just did you understand the wins that day did you pick the perfect distance of those two points and did you make it work because yeah yeah he said if you pick the wrong points you're screwed
1: right right and you know i always tell people in maneuvers like that where there some of it is subjective and some of it is objective make sure at the very least you you dot the i's and cross the t's and the objective stuff like yeah. you know um like what is a good, like short field landing is a good example. And I've even had exam examiners say this to me, like if the person floats 50 feet or a hundred feet, you know, Like if if they go past like your spot, you get two hundred feet. You know you can float past your spot two hundred feet or four hundred feet depending on the certificate. But if you think you've gone further than that, it's totally subjective. The examiner doesn't exactly know. I mean, no one's standing out there with a flag and a tape measure. But if you fail to hit the brakes and raise the flaps, that's obvious and objective, right? Like so. At the very least, make sure you're doing all the obvious and objective stuff. And if there are things that are subjective, like whether or not the point in 8 on pylons gets behind the wing or in front of the wing, that's sort of a judgment call. And, you know, it's, it's harder for an examiner to fail you on that.
0: Yeah, agreed. And going back to when you are talking about uh, the one examiner that failed uh, your former student's student, for the steep spiral, uh, is there any kind of recourse yeah. that can happen if the examiner is just flat out wrong? Can you kind of challenge that? I never really thought about that. Or is it just a failure and there's nothing you can do about it other than retake it?
1: Um, it it kind of depends. Uh, if like, so if it were me and I was highly like, so when as soon as my student Jeff called me, I I was like up in arms. I was highly confident that there was no bank angle requirement. So if I were him and had been there, I would have. Bought right then and there. I would have said, You're not writing that pink slip until we call the FISDO. Like, there is no bank angle requirement. And if that's why you're going to make this a failure, I'm going to fight you on it. But once it's written and the applicant comes home with the pink slip and it's done, it's harder to go back through an appeals process. It's just like, you know, then it just becomes a lot of red tape. So, you know, it depends on when you catch it, I think. And yeah, so if, yeah, but if I were there, I wouldn't have let him write it or I would have fought him writing it.
0: And you were saying the CFI, it's like you as a student probably shouldn't, don't really have the ability to do that, but your CFI could do that.
1: Um, well, if you're a student and you're confident too, I think it's about, you know, being confident and, you know, look, I mean, at the end of the day, the examiner has a lot of freedom to fail you for pretty much anything. If you really read the ACS and also, To allow certain things, like back to the example of the short field landing, you're you're allowed to go past your spot a little bit if the examiner thinks you're a safe pilot. I can't remember what the language of the ACS is, but it's something like consistently fails tolerances, right? Like there's a word in there that allows them freedom to say, well, that you only busted tolerances once it wasn't consistent. So I'm going to let you get away with that. There's room for them to sort of make that subjective call. But on this particular example, on the steep spiral, the examiner noted on the pink slip that the reason he was failing the student was because of insufficient bank angle on the steep spiral. That as a reason, now it's possible that I would have fought that and the examiner says, fine, then I'm failing them for something else. You know, like I don't, but but if you're going to write it there, like what you're writing is not required by the ACS. That's not a valid right. reason to fail somebody, you know? but like
0: you said, at the end of the day, the examiner can fail you whatever. So if you question him, and will be like, well, I also didn't like this or this or this. So it's like, be careful. Yeah. and Don't just go questioning an examiner who has done this multiple times in a scene at all. It's kind of, it's a slippery slope to go down.
1: It, it is, it is, it, you know, and it, I mean, maybe I was just like a cocky young kid, but at the, at the same time, like the, the other side of that is like, you know, like going into my CFI check ride, I knew there was a 60% failure rate, especially with the guy that I was going with. He was like known for doing two part check rides. And I respectfully told him when I got there that, I like, can't remember what I said, but it was something like, look, sir, I know that there's a 60% fail rate for this certificate. I know that you are... Um, an honest, tough evaluator, but like, I want you to know that I'm fully prepared and I'm here to pass the test today. And if I, if you see some reason why I shouldn't, obviously, you know, that's your job, but I just want you to know my intention is to walk out of here with a certificate.
0: Do you think that made a difference?
1: Um, I don't know, man, that's such a dramatic story. (laughs) Um, it really is like, I don't know. I mean, it was funny too because the first two questions he asked me were on the FOI and I didn't know the answer. No way. And his smart ass, <laughs> Yeah, and his smart ass response was, Well, you're not doing a very good job so far. Yeah, we're not <laughs>
0: looking great right now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we kinda
1: had this like kind of game on um a relationship the whole time. But there was a moment on the check ride when I knew I had passed where he said we were doing short field landings and it was totally windy. It was like 20 knots of wind or something. And I did one, it was within tolerances, but maybe I landed a little crooked. He goes, he goes, let me have the airplane. I'm going to show you how to do this. And I was <laughs> like, right in that moment, I'm like, oh, I passed. Because yeah, you like now he's, he's flying. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's fun. Uh, I have one more question for yeah. you. Uh, we said we keep about 45 minutes. Uh, this one isn't really a question for you as a CFI to like explain anything. This is more of a question of, how you have handled emergencies you've had in single engine aircraft.
1: Um, Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I should knock on wood when I say this, I have been very fortunate to not have had too many emergencies. Um, I had one engine failure on takeoff with runway in front of me um, and I reacted appropriately even just pushed the air and pushed the nose down and landed the aircraft back on the runway so that was kind of a non-event and sort of got away with it um but i will say that i've been like i, I try to stay really honest about it <clears throat> you know like when i had that engine failure on upwind i was coming out of some rigorous training with my mentor richard who was militant like from the air force and you know literally physically violent (laughs) in the airplane, (laughs) stabbing me with sticks and stuff like that and tying my hands and like all sorts of crazy training. But you know, his briefings of, you know, he would make me say my engine's about to fail on takeoff. And when it fails, here's what I'm going to do. And if I get lucky and it doesn't fail, I'm going to get up to 200 feet and that's where it's going to fail. When it fails there, here's what I'm going to do. Like that was my briefing before every takeoff. Um, And so I try to stay honest about really, his intention or stay true to his intention, which was to really make me believe that the next 30 seconds of my life were about to include an engine failure and paperwork and all sorts of crazy stuff. And maybe that's what got me out of that situation later where I landed back on the runway. But having said that, I had another buddy who, and I do not recommend what I'm about to say. This is not a recommended practice, but You know, he was prepping me for my commercial. This was after I finished with Richard, and I just wanted to fly with my friend who's now an airline pilot. And um, he was pulling my power to idle, saying, You just lost your engine. And I was really well trained, so I was looking like Johnny on the spot doing everything right. But, you know, then he reached down on the floor and shut the fuel selector off, which is what I do not recommend. And it was a law of intensity moment for me because I did not do anything like what I should have done when the engine actually shut off. I mean, if you would have pulled my power to idle, I, like I said, I was well trained. I would have done everything right. But instead, when he shut the fuel off, I started doing all this really random stuff, like looking at the fuel flow and saying, dude, I, we really lost it. That's not, that's not, I didn't do that. Like you see that there's no fuel flow. And I'm like, not doing the behaviors that I would have done had he pulled the throttle to idle. So, um, and that wasn't lost. I mean, yeah. So I try to stay true. to. I know you
0: say short. that, that you don't recommend that, but don't you think that was in a way some important training because you have only prepared yourself for a certain type of engine failure. You haven't prepared yourself for the engine failing that way. Uh, so you were noticing different events in the stages of what would be an engine failure. And you said yourself, you didn't really do a good job. So don't you think in a way kind of like showed you how to handle a something or not because you're comfortable with the other way. Don't you think it was a good thing to see how you reacted when it didn't happen the way you expected it to happen?
1: Yeah, I do. I do that. But and so for me, like I said, it was a lot of intensity moment. I'll never forget. It was a really good lesson. Um, but that's a hard line to draw. Like, and I'll give you an example. There was a CFI old school guy, very much like Richard down in um, somewhere in the Southeast, I think in Georgia. Uh, who died with a student, but like what he was famous for was literally shutting a student's fuel off in a Satagria and actually having them land in a field, right? So they would actually glide to a field and set the airplane down. And he did this for decades. And just to your point, it was probably amazing training. Like it was probably the best engine failure education a student could ever get, you know, right up till the day he hit a power line, he didn't see with a student, and they were both killed. Yikes. So it's like there's a certain like risk benefit. You know, like um, that's the reason we don't do spins anymore is because something like ninety three percent of fatal stall spin accidents were happening in dual training. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> two thirds of them. It was just some crazy high number, right? So. Um, it's a tough one. It's yeah. really tough. We don't want to water it down too much and I don't know where that line is. I'll I'll leave it up to others to find it. But uh but yeah, I I, I don't shut students' fuel off.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean I would real. agree. That, I would agree with you. Yeah. I don't think it's needed. I was just kind of pointing out the the benefit that you had in that and kind of realizing how you react in certain situations. But it definitely doesn't seem like it's worth the risk. You know, it's like you just caused way too much of an issue and you actually have starved that fuel of engine of, or you starved that engine of fuel and we don't know if it's going to restart. You know, it's like, yeah, it might but like, you've just introduced a risk that we didn't need to have. You know, it could be negative training. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's a tough one. Um, you know, it's funny. That guy called me, the, my friend who did that. His name now and he was, this was not too long ago. He's like, do you remember that time I shut your fuel off? And I, you know, like I talk about it all the time. I was like, of course. He's like, man, that was so stupid. I'm sorry I did that.
0: <laughs> he's probably been thinking about that for years. I was like afraid to call you. you like, oh man, Jason, totally. I'm so sorry, man. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I don't do that because I tell people how dumb you are every day. <laughs> yeah, I don't use your last. Name yeah, I, talk about but I should. Yeah, I should. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jason, yeah, Boston, thank you so yeah. much for for coming on the podcast, man. I really enjoy talking with you and getting kind of your expertise. Uh, like you said, your career CFI. I think it's so cool that you are a career CFI and you love it so much that you wanted to make a career out of it, especially in a time where being a CFI is kind of seen as just a very much a stopping point on your path to becoming uh, a regional airline pilot and then to the majors or fractionals. But it's awesome to see that you can make a good career out of this. You can kind of really make a difference in the aviation world and be a CFI and love what you do. So I really appreciate it. I think what you're doing is awesome and I can't wait to see what's next for the ground school app and learn the final points as a whole.
1: Awesome, Justin. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you. Um, I really, really appreciate
0: you having me on. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode 176 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. As I said earlier, if you enjoyed the episode, check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot. Check out Pilot's Coffee and huge shout out to our sponsor, Ground School App, Learn the Finer Points and Jason Miller. I hope you enjoy these Ask a CFIs. I think they're very beneficial just to talk through some scenarios and talk through your questions. So if you have questions, make sure to ask them next time. But AV Nation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.